You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's going on, Big Blue View listeners? Nick Filato and Chris Flum here on the Chris and Nick Show to break down the defensive line and the linebacker position for the 2022 NFL Draft. Chris, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. You know, a little tired. It's been a busy day, but you know. Leading up to the draft, Chris, I mean, we only have two weeks from this recording until the NFL draft starts, and it's exciting. And we're going to start with this defensive line position too, Chris. And you got to look at the New York Giants. I feel like they're in a, a strange, peculiar position with the defensive line because we're coming off of this general manager who loved to allocate high-end assets into the defensive line to a fault. Now, you look at the roster, Leonard Williams, he signed that extension. He's going to have a huge cap number in the next two years. Dexter Lawrence, do you pick up his fifth-year option? That decision has to be made within a month. And then they bring in Justin Ellis, who is more of a Danny Shelton type of replacement. So I think defensive line is a low-key need, specifically if you are not going to re-sign Dexter Lawrence. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I agree. And don't forget Jihad Ward as well, kind of adding to that defensive end or you know possibly four eye or three technique uh alignment depth it, i would not be surprised to see the giants pick up a defensive lineman at some point in this draft uh, i don't know that it'll be day one you know wherever they wind up picking but you know potentially day two uh, again i don't know about that second round pick but maybe one of those third round picks if the value works out uh, maybe on day three uh, like you say, the the only long-term guy the Giants have right now is Leonard Williams. And they've got Justin Ellis for the nose tackle, but yeah, how how good of a nose tackle is he going to be? You know, Danny Shelton was a disappointment last year. Austin Johnson was fine, but neither one of them really came close to replacing Dalvin Tomlinson. And I think that's a player that Giants really do need is a real replacement for Dalvin Tomlinson. And I think there are a couple guys in that day two range who could fit that that bill. Now, a couple of them are built wildly differently than Dalvin Tomlinson, and we'll get into them shortly. But I want to start this conversation off with the two Georgia guys who sit at the top of a lot of draft pundits list and rightfully so. And that is Jordan Davis and Devonte Wyatt. Those are two totally different prospects in their own right. Both very, very talented playing in or on a team that is much more, I guess you could say team oriented. It might not showcase their skill set as well. I think Jordan Davis, it did a solid job doing that. Although they didn't really have him play on third down. Is that a conditioning issue with Davis or is that because they're incredibly deep there but I think it more so affected Devontae Wyatt who if you put him as a three technique I think he could be a really dominant interior pass rusher what do you think about those two players I, I like them both oh Devontae Wyatt actually kind of does remind me in certain aspects of 
Dalvin Tomlinson, just with his build, with his uh, use of leverage, he understands angles. Now, he is much more athletic than Dalvin Tomlinson is, and he really does make good use of that. He, he doesn't look like he would be terribly athletic, and then all of a sudden, he is just blowing past a guard and is in the backfield. He is remarkably quick. Uh, Jordan Davis is just a freak show. That's kind of all there is to it guys his size should not be pushing Aaron Donald like numbers out there or JJ Watt like numbers out there yeah I do wonder why he was taken off the field in third down but I, I'm kind of inclined to go with just that was their that was just a mark of how ridiculously deep and talented that Georgia defense was that they could afford to let the big guy rest they could. I mean, and they have a guy next year, Carter, number 88, who is going to be a top 15 pick. I mean, it's just an embarrassment of riches down there in Athens, Georgia. And with Wyatt, dude, there was this play in the SEC championship game against Alabama. It was a third and 10, and I think it was in the third quarter, where he starts off as a three technique and explodes off of his outside foot and literally goes all the way to like the backside B gap. And gets there in one stride to pressure Bryce Young and then force an incomplete pass. Like the amount of force that he can exert through the ground and then how he moves off of that force is really, really wild and insane. And I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up getting drafted over Jordan Davis, which sounds ridiculous. But I also think it's an interesting conversation because people think, oh, yeah, you know, these big defensive linemen like Jordan Davis, they're just phased out two down run stuffers. And I think that's a little bit disingenuous as well when you see the proclivity of defensive coordinators playing two high defenses, middle of the field open defenses. That means there's more defensive assets allocated towards coverage rather than the run support aspect. So if you have these, these dominant run defenders like Jordan Davis up front, it can allow you to do more creative and more interesting things on the back end in a league that is proliferating with deep passing concepts. So I just think it's an interesting um, juxtaposition, those two players next to each other and who you would prefer. Yeah, I think it really does come down to what your scheme is going to be, what your specific needs are. You know, I'm, I've talked about this in the past. I am waiting for that Iowa State-style stack dime air raid killer defense to really start seeping into and then proliferating through the NFL just as a way of countering the almost big 12 like spread offenses we're starting to see teams play with and for that defense you need guys who can run that tight front who can really stop the run by completely taking inside runs away and then coming up and covering all of your gaps with just six defenders, three, three, de- yeah, three defensive linemen, you know, two linebackers and a safety or a linebacker and two safeties, you know, d- depending on how your defensive personnel package is on that particular play, which would, again, like you say, allow defenses to really, contain the run and also try to contain the explosive passing games we're starting to see and jordan davis fits into that very well to be honest and that's a big cat and mouse game between offensive and defensive coordinators there that isn't discussed too much in the media is just trying to gap yourself out you know not allowing the offense to have these unaccounted for gaps And this is why a lot of teams on offense will use 12 personnel. And if you can find tight ends who can lose slowly enough and also run routes and be effective receiving weapons, 
the defense is going to have to account for those extra gaps created by the tight ends. So now if you do hit them with a play action pass, they're going to go off to their run fit. And then now you have these athletic tight ends running behind them. Now they have to account for that as well. It just gives the defense a little bit more to have to worry about. And I just think it's an interesting chess match between the two coordinators. But I think another player, Chris, who fits into this whole big guy, tight front, can he play nose, can he occupy the A-gaps, is UConn's Travis Jones, who tested phenomenally at the Combine. Did you get a chance to see his film? I haven't gotten a chance to see as much as I would like. Um, Unfortunately, UConn hasn't been very good lately, which kind of means there hasn't been that much film floating around of them. But like you said, phenomenal testing at the Combine, which, well, there was a lot of that going around. This was a very entertaining Combine. Also, Travis Jones, he showed out at the Senior Bowl. He went there with a lot of these big school players, guys like Perry and Winfrey, who got the Senior Bowl MVP, Fidarian Mathis, who he is very impressive. He's a guy we both like out of Alabama. And Jones was just as good as any of them. And he gave those interior linemen every bit they could handle. You know, he is powerful. He is explosive. He is quick. And... You know, that, that is a very good combination for a defensive tackle. I know I'm staying the obvious here, but we kind of haven't seen a whole lot of that coming out of UConn lately. Nah, UConn is not typically the powerhouse of football. You know, they have Matt Parrott and the Giants get Matt Parrott. Matt Parrott hasn't necessarily materialized like we would like, but still there was potential there. But with Travis Jones, I watched his game against Clemson. It's the film that I got my hands on and he was hard to move, man. He was disruptive. He wasn't overly consistent, I think you can say, but it was obvious that the offensive coordinator for Clemson wanted to shut number 57 down (laughs) because (laughs) this guy is somebody who could possibly be a day two pick. And I think he would be a good option for the giants. If the giants had more draft capital, but I think he's probably going to go a little bit too high right now. And this is somebody who is a little bit smaller than Dexter Lawrence, but has that same type of athletic upside and just bullying mentality. And then there's this other player that always comes to my mind, Chris, when I think about Joe Shane, when I think about the NFL valuing length, and that is, Senior Bowl MVP, Perrion Winfrey, who has over 35-inch arms, and he played at Oklahoma where they use him as a nose nose tackle. I think he's much more of a slide-him-around-the-line-of-scrimmage type of guy, align him at four-eye and just really create havoc for interior offensive linemen to try to reach block this guy to the play side because he has all that length. What do you think about Perrion Winfrey? Do you think that makes sense for the New York Giants at the right value? You know, I think it does make sense for them because they they went out, they got Jihad Ward, they've got Leonard Williams, they've got Dexter Lawrence, you know, they've got a bunch of defensive ends, but they don't have anybody quite like Perry and Winfrey. There's actually quite a, well, I don't, don't want to say quite a few guys like Perry and Winfrey, but there is a surprising number of, just say defensive linemen with that kind of body style where they're, you know, 6'3", ish but athletic bills they're not big hulking monsters long arms great explosiveness great agility pairing winfrey there's demarvin leal zach carter uh i think we could probably also lump logan hall out of houston into this as well he's a little bit taller but yeah i would say that similar type of play style to his game and I could see honestly any one of these guys appealing to the Giants just because of how much Wink Martindale values the ability to create pressure and guys who 
have that length, have that athleticism, have that agility, he can do a lot with them. And you don't necessarily need these guys eating up blocks because of how he schemes these free rushers. Exactly. And I think that's an excellent point. When you look at Winfrey, this is somebody who had 96 percentile wingspan, 95th percentile arm length, 76th percentile hand size for a defensive lineman. I mean, he has over 10 inch hands and those, all those characteristics are important. And I think he has a pretty good first step. And when you watch Oklahoma's film too, I don't want to say he looks awkward out there, but he just looks really big. And not in the sense of a Dexter Lawrence where he's 340 pounds, but you're just like, what position are you? (laughs) You're maligning over nose. You're like, what are you doing exactly? But like, he's effective and he's disruptive and he gets in there. And I didn't even love his tape as much as I love the potential of how he can be used in the NFL, if that makes sense. And Leal is, is also somebody who is interesting because he was like a top 10 pick. And now you see him kind of more towards the back end of day two. He had some off the field issues. I don't exactly remember what it was. It wasn't anything too serious if if I'm not mistaken, but you're right. He fits into that mold where it's like, can he be a five technique? Is he quick enough to align as a three technique in an even front? I'm not really a hundred percent certain, but I like the, the call of him, Perry and Winfrey and Zach Carter and Logan Hall grouping all of them in. But Chris, I want to put you on the spot. We, you had to choose one of these guys, and they're all available for the Giants with the first third-round pick. For whatever reason, you had to choose one of them. And I don't think that's going to be possible because I think Perry and Winfrey is going to be off the board and possibly Travis Jones by that point, and probably Logan Hall. Who would you choose? Ooh. Uh, you know, I, I think I would probably go with DeMarvin Leal if, he is, if he's on the board there as well because, like you said, he – when we were watching him during the season, he was considered a, we'll say, a first-round pick. If you could get that caliber of talent in the third round, that that's almost a sprint-to-the-podium type situation. And he just has that kind of versatility where you could line him up at pretty much anywhere on a defensive front. You know, Texas A&M played him as a nose tackle. Again, that kind of weird to see but when they did they used him as a looper and he's got that agility he's got that range where he can get outside of the right tackle left tackle whichever side he's looping and create all of this chaos along the defense or i'm sorry along the offensive line and still have the the speed and athleticism to be effective yet each one of these guys can do that but leal he's the one I saw probably do it at the highest level, but yeah, that is kind of a weird, just to go off on a tangent, just, a I almost want to say meme we're seeing, but just a weird trend in college football of using these really athletic undersized nose tackles. I think the first one I really remember seeing was Ed Oliver a few years ago, where there's this guy who's getting compared to Aaron Donald and he's lining up as a nose tackle every single down and he's like what are you even doing you know how are you going to you know use this guy's traits like that and they just keep doing it they keep doing it and they keep having success with it and you're right i do remember that when ed oliver came out and obviously 
Brendan Bean selected him. Joe Shane worked under Brandon Bean, so I think that's interesting. And I think all four of the guys that we brought up, and that is Travis Jones from UConn, Perry Winfrey from Oklahoma, to Marvin Leal from Texas A&M, and Zach Carter from Florida, kind of fit that bill. Carter's probably going to be selected after those three. And I think another one who could be a day three pick, and this guy, and I don't want to make the lazy helmet scouting comparison, but I do believe there are similarities between Federian Mathis and Dalvin Tomlinson. And it's not just because they both went to Alabama. I think Tomlinson might be a little bit better with utilizing leverage, but you want to talk about a heavy-handed, just smart football player who's excellent in run defense. That's Federian Mathis out of the University of Alabama. Yeah, we've talked about him before. We both like him. And I do like that Dalvin Tomlinson comparison. Yeah, I don't believe Mathis has that same wrestling background that Dalvin Tomlinson has, which I think is really why he is such a good nose tackle. You know, he's he just instinctively has that wide base, that great balance. He understood or understands, uh, yeah, both his personal physical leverage, like you know, just getting under blockers' pads, and also how to leverage the ball, how to control gaps and all of that. Mathis does ha- understand leverage. He understands offensive sy- offensive systems, offensive concepts. And like you said, he is very, very smart. He isn't an overwhelming athlete, but he is still good enough and smart enough and just well-rounded enough. He was productive all really in all phases. He was a productive pass rusher for Alabama. He was a good run defender. You could play him probably the three technique. You could play, play him at nose tackle. You could probably play him at five technique if you wanted. It, that kind of versatility, it, that's really useful. Especially when you talk about the intelligence because playing defensive line isn't just, I'm going to eat these blocks. You need to know what the offense is doing and know what your assignments and what your teammates' assignments are. And I really think that uh, he did a good job doing that in Nick Saban's complex defense. Chris, before we move on to the linebackers, we got to get into some of these late round guys. And there are a couple that really interest me. The one that pops out to me is LSU's Neil Neil Farrell. I just think he's somebody who has counter moves, has a pretty good pass rushing repertoire for this big 320 pound defensive lineman. But I also like John Ridgway from Arkansas and some of these other guys. Let's discuss, Chris, who are some of your favorite late round defensive tackles the Giants maybe should target in this draft? You know, I'm I'm with you on Ridgeway. He jumped out to me you know, at the Senior Bowl at over the course of the draft process. He is not an athletic guy. He doesn't have a great burst, anything like that. He is just a big, country strong dude. <laughs> like he is, he is just like a hydraulic press <laughs> of. A defensive tackle. He's not going to get there fast, but he will move offensive linemen backwards. He will plug gaps. He is just a prototypical nose tackle. And if he is sitting there on day three, he could be a really good value, low cost, long-term solution for the Giants right there in the middle of their defensive front. Another guy who he made waves at the Shrine game and has kind of gone back below the radars. Matthew Butler out of Tennessee. Yeah, he's got you know decent size. He's not huge, but he's got good athleticism, good quickness, and he kind of took things over at the Shrine game, and he sent a lot of people back to his tape. I did his film. He was quicker than I thought, a little bit lighter on his feet. I don't have his evaluation in front of me, 
but I did feel like he spent a little bit too much time on the ground, had some balance issues. I think I thought the same thing about Otito Ogbonia from UCLA, but I do think they're interesting at that area of the draft. Did you get to see Otito at all? Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I think you're right about balance. You know, maybe gets out a little bit over his skis too much. Maybe tries to do too much. He he doesn't have great foot speed from what I saw. But if you're a nose tackle, you know that's that's okay. You know, he's not going to be out there rushing off the edge, trying to bend the edge or anything like that. But you know, if you're looking for somebody to eat those blocks, he's got. You know, good size, 324 pounds. He's got long arms, big hands. Not a real twitchy athlete, but you're looking for somebody with great play strength, great run defense, and again, who will probably be available on day three. I think he's another solid option, which, I don't know, maybe I still I still have memories of uh, Osa Odigazua, who I loved last year, and I really wanted the Giants to draft. But, I don't know, something about you the UCLA defensive tackles from maybe from last year, just, you know, fond memories of him and, o- and Otito, but I wouldn't mind seeing the giants draft Otito as well. Hopefully they could do something about his balance, maybe get him playing within himself a bit more. You know what he needs to do though? And I'm sure this has probably been used for other players as well. He needs to wear number seven, Chris, and he <laughs> needs to be, 007, all right, because Otito Ogbanya from UCLA with a seven, that would be an awesome nickname. All right, Chris, let's transition to the linebackers, though, and let's start off with the top two, because it seems like there's a consensus top two, which I don't even know how accurate that is. My grades are a lot closer than than this would suggest, but there seems to be a consensus top two, and that is Utah's Devin Lloyd and Georgia's N'Kobe Dean. What which one of those linebackers would you prefer in, in the Giants system? And what are your overall thoughts on, on those two guys? Oh, man. Uh, for one, how do you separate the Georgia linebackers, all three of them? Because I, I don't think Kirby Smart could even separate them, really, because th- just the way he used them, he was just rotating them in and out, had them all of them playing kind of all over the second level of his defense. It Again, that, that was a defense with almost too much talent on it. Like, they it really wasn't fair. Like you said before, an embarrassment of riches. I think I come down on preferring to Kobe Dean just because he is a bit more of that kind of twitchy all over the field, rangy athlete. And I think that's becoming more important at the NFL level now where you need these guys who can cover broad swaths of field, who can blitz from the second level and really stress offenses that way. Yeah. Devin Lloyd, he's a bit bigger, he is not quite as athletic. He, he's very smart. He's an excellent player. I think if the Giants were running a bit more traditional of an offense, I would come down with Devin Lloyd. But the prospect of having Kobe Dean either covering the second level or firing into the backfield on a blitz, that's exciting to me. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's very exciting, to be honest. I personally do not want either of these players in the first round when they were being mocked. in the, in Oh, the just top take 10. the easy way out, why don't you? Yeah. No, well, well, okay, if I have to choose one, I would say... <laughs> Devin Lloyd, I think, has higher upside. I think N'Kobe Dean probably fits with Wink Martindale a little bit better in terms of his ability to pressure, his blitzing. I don't think either of these guys were were individuals that, when I went into their film, I came away saying, nah, like I, I didn't see the first the first top 10, top 15 hype. And that's kind of what I expected when they were initially built up during the early parts of the draft cycle. I think they're going to be good football players. I'm not trying to knock them, but uh, if I had to choose one, I'd probably go with Devin Lloyd. And I also think there are just later round linebackers that I prefer, not even just on day two, but even on day three, when you consider the value, like a N'Kobe Dean, he's all well and good, but then there's DeMarco Jackson at Appalachian state. Now, obviously N'Kobe Dean is a much more accomplished and a better prospect, but when you're talking about a first round value guy, and then like what a fifth, sixth round value guy, like I'm going to sign up for DeMarco Jackson over N'Kobe Dean. Oh, definitely. Like it, if you can get an off ball linebacker who offers a similar value to a first round or similar upside to a first round player at a, at a later value, you have to do it. Unfortunately, off ball linebackers, just the positional value isn't really there. Now, if you can find a, a true three down guy who is smart, who can cover, you know, cover that middle of the field, cover tight ends and running backs who can blitz and pressure the passer and also defend the run. Yeah. Every defense needs those guys, but the way defenses are rotating players, they're coming up with sub packages for the most part, linebackers are guys you're taking off the field. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to draft a guy highly. If he's only going to be playing like 40% of your snaps. And if you really want to look at what Wink Martindale did with the Ravens, man, and I know they spent a first-round pick on Patrick Queen, a third-round pick on Malik Harrison out of Ohio State, but he rotated a lot, man. He he maximized his defensive personnel out there. Like, he really used every defensive body that he had. The Ravens weren't a big, oh, we just have this guy for special teams. Like, nope, you're going to play in the defensive rotation, and we're going to find a role for you. So I would agree. I think it does get interesting at pick 36, though. I really do. Because linebacker is a need, let, let's be honest here. And I do appreciate what N'Kobe Dean or Devin Lloyd, which who I don't think will be around, uh, but Nicobe Dean could possibly be around at pick 36. And I think that's in consideration. But, dude, I, I like a lot of these day two linebackers we're about to go over. Yeah, th- this really is a good linebacker class. Like, I, I know I just got done talking about how the position doesn't have the value it once did. But, man, there's a lot of good ones. Like, right now, we've got another six guys, any of whom would probably be a solid value at 36 overall. 
Oh, yes. And two of them are from the University of Georgia. They were teammates with Nicobe Dean. One of them never started a college football game in his life, and that is Channing Tindall. And the other Georgia linebacker is Quay Walker. And we'll start by just talking about those two specific guys. Quay Walker, six foot four, like 245 pounds, excellent sideline to sideline range, just a great overall prototype for a linebacker. Played at Georgia, was in a I don't want to say a sub role, but didn't, you know, play a thousand snaps or anything like that. He was in a role where he shared a lot of his snaps with other players like Channing Tindall and Nicobe Dean. So some people have some reservations about that. I've heard just from people around draft Twitter and everything that Quay Walker could go over Nicobe Dean. Sounds ridiculous, but at the same time, it's like, dude, this guy is, he fits what the NFL is looking for in terms of prototype. And if you turn on Quay Walker's film, you could see a lot of flashes. You can see Keen diagnose. He doesn't look like an overly raw player. There's some things he needs to, I guess, iron out, you could say. But damn, dude, I think the upside's high for Quay Walker. And I also think it's high for Channing Tindall, who's a little bit undersized at about 225 pounds. Yeah, I think I like Quay Walker a little bit better than Tindall for the Giants just because, you know, he's he was always blitzing for Georgia. Yeah, he, he didn't have a whole lot of sacks. I think he had five in his career you know, didn't have a ton of tackle for losses again 11 for his career but he was always in the backfield he was disruptive they even had him play edge on occasion and he's got that size he's got that athletic ability i i thought he looked like a pretty smart linebacker yeah he wasn't fooled all that often he diagnosed plays pretty accurately from what i saw yeah you know, I would honestly take any one of those three Georgia linebackers. Like, actually, if we could just draft the entire Georgia defense, that would be, I think, ideal. But unfortunately, <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly going to be able to happen. That would be ideal. I would love to see Lewis Seen and Xavier McKinney interchangeably working on the back end with Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt wreaking havoc with those three linebackers at the second level next to Blake Martinez. I mean, sign me up for that any day of the week. Some of these other linebackers, though, Chris, are also really interesting, like Wyoming's Chad Muma, Montana State's Troy Anderson, and Brian Asamoah from Oklahoma, and then Alabama's Christian Harris. I think a lot of these guys are different, and we can go over their strengths their weaknesses and their differences right now but if you had to choose one of those guys who do you think your favorite out of those four are you know i i have been a troy anderson guy for a while you know, you turned me because, on yeah uh, well uh, credit to joe de leon he turned he was the one who turned me on to troy anderson he's a really interesting guy very very different background like you said montana state finding tape on him was it, it, it was an adventure. <laughs> it, it led me to finding entire Montana state games and having to sift through those for his, for his plays. It was, that was a full day. Let me just say that, but yeah, a former quarterback, he was an all American quarterback, a two way player in high school transitions over to linebacker as an all American at outside linebacker and inside linebacker who's a finalist for the academic Heisman and oh by the way at the combine he tested out so that he came as close to a 10 uh, for the RAS as I've seen from the off-ball linebacker and his closest comparison is Luke Keekley. so you have a guy who's that smart you know academic Heisman former quarterback who has Luke Keekley plus athleticism yeah, Montana State, that is a low level of competition. He dominated and he was always the best player on the field 
for Montana State and whoever they were playing. Goes to the Senior Bowl. He shows he can hang with all of those guys and even shine. So for me, I think he could wind up being a gem from this draft. I think so too. I really do. Now, I think we have to be tell both sides of the story. It's more of a risk, the transition, all those things I think have to be weighed in, but he has the size profile. He has the intelligence. He's a dual way player. People might view him as a Taysom Hill, which that's a whole nother conversation. In and of <laughs> but I think if you do select this guy on day two, you could bring him in. Maybe he doesn't have to start right away, but you start using him on sub packages. You can blitz him. He's an excellent athlete in coverage and there might be a transition period but i think there's a ton of upside there and i also really like christian harris and chad muma man chad muma's all over the field he's somebody who's also really good in coverage i think he's a solid addition probably somewhere in the in the third round of the draft christian harris as well just very very fast a little bit undersized but still someone who could fly around the field and did i i think he did a good job in alabama's defense as well don't have my notes in front of me on on uh, on specifically Christian Harris, but I remember I came away pleased with his film and had a day two grade on him. Yeah, he it's kind of a mark of this linebacker class and defense as a whole, where a good, solid Alabama linebacker is almost an afterthought. Yet normally these guys are being talked about as fringe first round players, where if you can even just be good in maybe not if you can be good in that Alabama defense, you don't even need to be amazing, but just good. That means you are a good player. And there's just so many really good linebackers out there this year. Like there is a really abnormal number of, of good linebackers in this draft that Christian Harris is almost being overlooked. That is kind of insane to me. And also, you know, Brian Asamoah, I like him. Yeah. I think I like him better as a sub-package linebacker, maybe a nickel linebacker. Yeah, I wonder about his processing. Uh, he seemed to hesitate quite a bit on the tape that I saw, and that is a bit of a a bit of a red flag to me. But he's athletic, he's quick, he's explosive, he's a, he's rangy, he is super aggressive. You know, once he diagnoses and commits, that's just it. He is a heat-seeking missile, and. You know, you get him, he can defend the run, he can defend the pass, he can blitz, he can do all of these things. I think he, I think if he can be put in a position where he can play fast, and Wink Martindale's really good at that, Asamoah could be a guy the Giants get at a good value. If they look at him, maybe he slips to the fourth round. Maybe he does. And Asamoah, man, like I watched his film and I think it's hard for these big 12 linebackers because they're playing a lot of spread concepts. So their assignments are kind of all over the place. But there were times where linemen would get up to the second level and he couldn't stack and shed them. And he was literally getting blocked like 20 yards downfield like that. That happened quite a bit on his film to the point where I was like, I don't know if this guy's going to be like a full time type player. You're going to have to get creative and stack him and have him play behind dudes like Jordan Davis to help keep himself a little bit clean. Because you're right. When he sees it, he goes and gets it quick trigger downhill. Love that about him. And then Christian Harris, man, like. 
we, we talked about Nakobe Dean and his pressure ability. Christian Harris has similar type of pressure ability. Maybe he didn't do it as often as Nakobe Dean, but just go back to the national championship game. Yeah, Alabama lost. But remember that play where Christian Harris sacked Stetson Bennett and the ball bounced by the sideline, and then like another Alabama defender almost picked it up, and it was actually a fumble, and they had to see if he picked it up inbounds or out of bounds. That was caused by Christian Harris just putting a huge move on Justin Schaefer to to get into the A gap, basically untouched, just an insane quick footed just all his weight on his outside foot and then explode back inside, just totally manipulating the guard and creating so much separation. He has that type of athletic ability. So I really like the Christian Harris call, but Chris, we got to go on to some of these late round linebackers. Who are some of your favorites? Oh man. Yeah. Honestly, there's so many guys who I think, or I, I should say there's so many of these uh, linebackers who are going to go, I think earlier than people expect. I almost haven't gotten a chance to really dig into the late round guys yet yeah you know one who really always jumped out at me and he was widely productive and that's malcolm rodriguez out of oklahoma state i don't know if you had a chance to see him but yeah he was all over the field he his problem is he's about like five foot eleven so he's probably gonna <laughs> either not get drafted or be a be a, a late day three pick but this is somebody who yeah 511 i get that but you want to talk about someone who is willing and run support to come up and punch you right in the mouth he did that consistently at Oklahoma state was widely productive. And yeah, that's a big 12 defense going up against big 12 offenses, which aren't really the most big or the most physical, but still, I think this guy could be one of those excellent special teams dudes that you end up adding onto your roster. I think Josh Ross out of Michigan kind of falls into that as well. Not overly athletic, but somebody that teammates seem to love has all the leadership qualities. And I feel like, you know, he could be a late, you know, round pick, round six, round seven can step on and be a special teamer who can possibly work his way into the starting rotation because of his ability to see the offense and react. Now, I just wish he was a little bit more athletic. That's Josh Ross out of Michigan. Now, you know, I just realized somebody we haven't talked about, and I don't know, maybe you wanted to save him for our Edge show, but that's Leo Chanel out of Wisconsin. Yeah, so I was probably going to talk about him with the edges, even though he's not an edge. So we should probably cover him right here. So I love Leo Chanel. I think Leo Chanel would be one of the best fits in Wink Martindale's system because it's very similar to what Jim Leonard does up there at Wisconsin. And I guess you could say the same thing about Jack Sanborn, who's going to be selected a lot further down the draft board than Leo Chanel. But a lot of people talk about Leo Chanel at 36. I think that's rich. I get that he is this incredible athlete who's in a 250-pound frame, looks like a 90s-type linebacker, but he's playing in the modern NFL. I don't love his coverage ability. He's stiff in space. Didn't expect that after watching his combine, but you go through his film, you see some stiffness in space. He's much more of a linear athlete going forward, and I think he's excellent penetrating. I'm talking about one of the best because he can get so low and he shows flexibility in the area of when he's trying to dodge punches and just getting really skinny through these really tight crevices while using his hands and physicality to create separation and pressure on the quarterback. I think he's more of a third, uh, a third round guy for me though. I, I don't want to entertain that pick 36. I think I'm going to like a lot more players than probably him at that area of the draft, but damn dude, I just think he would fit so well with what Wink wants to do. Yeah, I, I love Chanel as a Sam linebacker. You know, maybe like in in a understyle defense game, like right up on the line of scrimmage, have him going forwards all the time. Where yeah, you know, I could see maybe trying him almost in a Micah Parsons type role. Yeah, maybe not as much coverage, which that was a little surprising to me. How often 
Wisconsin had him dropping into coverage because, yeah, I agree with you. He is, we'll say, awkward in space. Uh, maybe because the dude is like just built like a fire hydrant made out of muscle, <laughs> but like he is just he is one of the stoutest linebackers I've seen in a long time. But yeah, I, I like him a lot as well. And now you put me on the spot before. Now it's my turn. Yeah, guy, he I didn't even put in the notes because I want to really put you on the spot here. That's LSU linebacker Damone Clark. Is he worth the risk? I think in round seven, he is, yes. But we don't have a seventh round pick, so maybe the last pick in round six. For those who don't know, he had spinal fusion surgery, and he's going to miss more than likely his entire rookie season. I really liked Damone Clark's tape. I think there are some things to iron out, but I think he's an excellent athlete. I think he could be a little bit quicker at processing initial pre-snap to post-snap movement. I felt like there was a little bit of hesitation. He would bounce on his toes a little bit. But I would take that risk in round six. I mean, I don't want to slight Gary Brightwell, but Gary Brightwell was a six round pick last year. And I don't know what his future is with the New York giants. And yeah, I know his general manager and head coach got fired, but I don't know what his future is with the New York giants uh, at the running back position, other than being a special teamer. Whereas if you draft him on Clark, you redshirt him for a year, put him on the IR and the pup and everything like that. And then he could, if he returns to form as the, you know, 24 year old, he will be or 23 year old. He will be, you found somebody who can be a really solid starting linebacker in round six. I, I, I like the aspects of that. Like, and I think it's interesting too, because I'm not somebody, and I'm going to put you now on the spot. <laughs> I'm not somebody who wants to invest the 36th pick in edge David Ajabo, but I see how these are similar type of situations, but you're talking about a six round pick and then a 36 pick. Would you invest that selection in Ajabo at 36? Ooh, you know, I, I'm not sure. Like we, we are still really close to his injury. I would want the medical reports. Like there, there's a lot of information about that, that we kind of don't know. And we're not going to know just sitting out here. You know, we, we don't have his medical reports. You and I are not doctors. We aren't talking to his doctors. I know he has a very short timeline. I think they were saying something. He could be back on the field in six months, which seems that seems kind of um short to me for a ruptured Achilles. I am I've kind of already in my head written off his rookie year. Yeah. Yeah. I know pre-injury, I would have been all about the Giants drafting a Jabo. Yeah. Maybe at seventh overall, definitely if they traded back, because Michigan plays that Baltimore style defense. So in fact they had a Baltimore Ravens defensive coach calling their defense last year. So Ojabo and also Aiden Hutchinson, if the NFL gets really stupid and lets him drop, th those guys already speak Wink Martindale's language. They already know how he wants to use his edge rushers. So I can see the scheme fit. I think the value if the athleticism returns is there. And I understand we are already bleeding ahead into our next show. But it is an interesting discussion, especially in relation to Damone Clark, where, again, I, I would want to see the medical reports. Anything involving the neck, the spine, anything like that is really scary. It's scary, and I really would be afraid of re-injury and ha having it be a catastrophic injury. 
Now, if you got all the medical assurances that he is fine, there are no long-term problems. His risk of injury isn't any greater than anyone else at his position, his age. Then, yeah, if you could get him in the sixth round, in the sixth round, that could be a phenomenal pickup. Absolutely. One more player I have to ask you about, Chris, and that's just because this guy falls into a weird outside linebacker type of apex defender, but he's not necessarily a cornerback either, and that's Nebraska's JoJo Doman. Have you watched him? He was down at the Senior Bowl. I feel like he's an interesting hybrid type of guy who was productive for the University of Nebraska. Yeah, that he. I really am not quite sure what role he would play in the NFL. It's like you said, it kind of linebacker cornerback is a weird hybrid to have out there. I could see Wink Martindale maybe making use of that versatility, you know, basically creating a role for him. I'm not quite sure where he would, where he would land. Like what is your read on him? Just as far as general draft stock, like where would you start looking for him to be drafted? For JoJo Doman, I think it's going to be specific to the defense that he lands in. I think he could fit with what Wink Martindale wants to do, maybe as that Sam type of linebacker, because from what I've seen, he's not deficient as a run defender either. Now, he's like about 230 pounds. It's a little bit light in the pants. But I think if you're talking about early day three in that fourth round range, I think he's somebody to entertain. It's not somebody that I've talked too extensively about on this podcast, but I, I think he has the coverage ability. He's solid coming forward. He had a couple sacks. I know he had one against Northwestern. And I think in run support, he can hold his own as well. So I think it's uh, definitely around that fourth round range. I know earlier in the process, people talk about second round. I always thought that was a little rich. Yeah, you know, maybe you could use him as a sub-package linebacker, at least to start, which, uh, if I remember correctly, he was he transitioned from safety. Yes. So that that's always kind of an interesting transition to me, especially if you, if he can maintain a play weight of two thirty. Yeah. That I think is big enough to live at the second level, be a will linebacker. Yeah. Yeah. He's not going to be a Brian Urlacher who also did the safety to linebacker transition. But if you can get a guy who has experience in coverage in space, he still has that athleticism who can play the run well enough to not be a liability. If you haven't addressed linebacker yet, and he's sitting there with good value, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Yeah, neither would I. And that's given that Muma and Anderson and all of those other players we went over before are off the board. Chris, this has been a great show going over the defensive line and the linebacker position. Went a little long, but I'm not opposed to that because I love talking shop with you, my friend. So, hey, everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Chris and Nick show here on Big Blue View Radio. Please head on over to the website. Check out all of our Giants content and all the content on the NFL draft that Chris, myself, and Ed Valentine and all the great staff over there are putting out. And also, please subscribe, like, comment on this podcast. Let us know what we're doing well. Let us know what we suck at. Please just give us a five-star rating. Thank you so much. Be well. Take care. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, 
wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.